turn with me this morning to the book of 1 Kings. We're going to go to chapter 17. Only read one verse to start with this morning. 1 Kings chapter 17, reading verse number 24. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God, and the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. Is the truth. We're going to talk about uh, this morning Elijah, the man of God. Elijah, the man of God. The, the woman in this verse is the widow of Zarephath. I hope when, when I tell you that, that, that you know the main story that has to do with, with Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. Because this is the home where he came to after the water of the brook Kirith dried up. I've, I've looked at this, at this chapter of this narrative many times, and it's like a lot of other places in the Word of God. <clears throat> the more you read it, the more you get. And one thing that, that struck me as I was going through this this week is that Elijah stood in the, in the, in the presence of Ahab and, and said, God's going to dry up the heavens. There won't be any dew. There won't be any rain until I call for it. And then he, then he was led by the Holy Spirit to the brook, and there he drank the water, and the ravens came in morning and evening and bought, brought him bread and meat. I, I hope you know that story. Uh, it, it may not be common to you, but if it isn't, go to uh, chapters 16, 17, 18, 19, in, in that area in the book of 1 Kings, and read it. It's, it's a powerful, powerful record. But eventually, the brook dried up. Okay? And, and I thought, when God sends judgment, even though it's not on his people, those that are faithful to him, when God sends judgment, it touches everybody's life. Because you would think, you know, if I were God, I'd do it this way. You, you ever think that way? Pastor, you think that way. I've heard you say it. If I were God, I'd do it this way, you know. If I were God, I'd have said, that brook won't dry up. This man's my man, and it's not going to dry up. But the judgment touched Elijah and his life just like it touched Ahab and his household. Let me tell you something. When God begins to judge, there will be things in this nation, in this world, that touch our life as well. Okay? What we need to do is to say we're God's people and God's going to bring us through this thing one way or another. Elijah had to say that at times. God's going to get me through this. He told me to do what I did. He's honoring his word and God's going to bring me through this. The second thing that I notice is that in this particular incident, this 
Elijah goes down to the house of the widow of Zarephath and, and, and he meets her, in my mind, on the hillside outside of town and she's picking up some sticks and he says, I'd like a glass of water. Well, water was an expensive commodity in those days because there was no rain or dew. I mean, everything was drying up. <clears throat> but the woman went down, to, headed toward the house and Elijah said to her, when you, when you go, when you're coming back, bring me a piece of bread. I'm hungry also. And the woman said to Elijah, as the Lord thy God liveth, I have nothing in the house but a little oil in a cruise and a little meal in a barrel, and I'm gathering two sticks. Isn't God's timing wonderful? I'm gathering two sticks and I'm gonna go down, I'm gonna build a fire and I'm gonna make the oil and the, and the meal into a cake and my son and I are gonna eat it and we're gonna die <laughs> because it's all we've got. And Elijah said to her, do as thou hast said, but bring me a cake first. Make me a little cake first. Now that sounds like a preacher, doesn't it? People come to church and they say, all you're here for is the money. That's all you want is the money. But Elijah said, bring, bring me a little cake first. And the Lord has said that the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And so this is all going on at the time of the scripture, the, the, the incident that is tied to this scripture that we have taken as a text this morning. Understand that what we have read is parenthetical to this miracle that happens every day. That there's meal in the bottom of the barrel and there's oil in the bottom of the cruise and every time she makes it, God replenishes it. God replenishes it. But now her son has died. And she says to Elijah, God sent you down here and brought attention to me. And now because of my sin, God's taken my son as punishment. Sometimes even in the middle of blessing, when things don't go like we think they ought to, we blame God. And, and that's what's going on here. She blames God. Elijah takes the boy up to his room. He's staying on the second floor in a prophet's chamber and laid the boy down there and interceded. And God brought breath back into that boy. He brought her down, presented to him, presented her to him alive. And that's when she said, now I know. What? God's been increasing the barrel of meal and the cruise of oil for weeks, maybe months at this time. But she says, now I know that you're true. Now I know what you're saying is true. And, and, and what I see, if, if we're not careful, in the middle of what God's trying to do, we blame God. We blame God. But all of this, all of this is going on. But she says to him, now I know by this that you are a man of God. Now this is not the only place in the scripture where Elijah is lauded as a man of God. But we're not gonna talk about those times this morning. What I wanna talk about is what, what was it that worked in Elijah's life? 
you know, we are the sum of everything that happens to us. You realize, I hope you realize that. We are the sum of everything that happens to us. And there were things in Elijah's life that caused him to get to this place where other people said, this is a man of God, a man of God. So not going to talk about three things this morning, Pastor. I'm going to talk about four things. Okay. All right. I, I, hate to, I hate to burst your bubble, but it's four things this morning. Okay. So we're going to talk about Elijah's passion, Elijah's prayer, Elijah's power, and Elijah's persistence. Okay. Let's, let's start with Elijah was a man of passion. Look at James chapter 5, verse number 17, first part of the verse, and, and James said, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. Now, that's in the old King James. The text this morning is out of the new King James, but that's in the old King James, and, and I read several other places. It, it said, you know, Elijah was subject to fleshly desires. Elijah was just a person, just a human, just like we are. But I like this word. Elijah was subject to like passions. He had these intense emotions. And, and when you read about him in scripture, you find that, that he was a man just, he, he just, he, he all this power and energy was, was, was built up in him. He was a man of great emotional power and strength. He's a great leader, great leader, great prophet. In fact, if, if I have to look at the Old Testament and pick out a favorite person, Elijah certainly ends up in that area. You see, James is saying that Elijah was a flawed person just like we are. We have the, we have the tendency a lot of times to look at the lives of these great men of God, women of God, and put him up on a pedestal and say, they're not like me. They're, they're so far above me. But James brings us back down and he says, no, 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 no. It's not that way at all. Elijah was flawed. He was human, just like you are, just like I am. Let, let's, look at, let's look at some things, first of all. First of all, I, I, I noticed that Elijah was bold, nearly to the point of being arrogant. He stood before Ahab and, and, and can't you see him shaking his finger in his, in his face and saying, it's not going to rain till I call for it. Whoa, that's, that's quite a statement. That, and, and, but there was a boldness there. Missionary Charles Greenaway that's gone on to be with the Lord several years ago was preaching at a, a, a district minister's retreat. At that time, we had him down at Robbers Cave State Park. And and Brother Greenaway was up in this open-air tabernacle, and he was talking about Elijah and, and how that Elijah ran next to the, uh, the chariot of, of, uh, of Ahab as they were running back to, or going back to Jezreel before the rain came to, to bust the drought. And Greenaway said Elijah was the kind of guy that would look up into the face of Ahab in that chariot and say, God's going to get you. I see that. I see that God's going to get you. It's not going to rain until I say it's raining. It's not going to happen again. So there, there was a boldness almost to the point of being arrogant. Don't, don't arrogant people just turn you off? 
But Elijah was the man of God, the man of God. And there was a rage that you see exhibited in the life of, of Elijah. After the, the miracle on Mount Carmel, and we'll talk about that more here in a little bit, but after the miracle on Mount Carmel, Elijah said to the people that were there, get every one of the prophets of Baal and bring them down to the brook and, and we're gonna execute them there. And when you read the scripture, it, it implies, at least implies, if it doesn't just out and out say that Elijah did the beheading. I mean, we're talking 800 men. And Elijah takes a sword and off goes their head. Let me tell you something. It takes deep emotional rage to cut off the head of that many people. But these were the people that transgressed against holy God and stood up for idolatrous worship. And Elijah said, we're stamping it out in our land. We're stamping it out in our country. God today, help us to be the people that stand for godly worship and stamp out anything that's in our lives that is another idol that causes us to worship, worship something besides Almighty God Jehovah. Let's get rid of it out of our lives. But there was a holy rage there and in, 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 in Elijah cut off their heads. 800 of them cut off their heads. But there's something else. You look a little closer and you'll find that in Elijah's life there was fear that overwhelmed him. When Jezebel said to him, by this time tomorrow, I'm gonna do the same thing to you as you did to the prophets. And all of a sudden, he began to run. In fact, the scripture says he ran for his life. He ran for his life. So there was terror in his heart. There was terror in his heart. And then even further in his life, you will find that he struggled with depression and self-pity. He lay exhausted under the juniper tree and later on, he was hiding himself in Mount Horeb, in a cave in Mount Horeb. And he said, Lord, just let me die. Just let me die. Now, you may be here this morning and you, you say, I've never been that out of control. Come on, let's get real, folks. We all have our moments. We all have our moments. But, but not me. Oh, come on, come on. You see, how do we deal with the flaws of our humanity? How do we deal with these things? First of all, you have to admit that you have some weaknesses. James says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. You can't deal with anything unless you confront it. I don't care who you are. You can't deal with anything unless you confront it. You have to say, this is who I am. These are the flaws in my life. 
And, and I don't know how you are, but the older I grow, the more I realize I'm flawed and the more mistakes that I see in my life and the more I understand I need God's help to get me through these things because there is nothing perfect about me and there's nothing perfect about you. Now I know that's not what the young man who's deeply in love says, she is perfect. No, she's not. I have a message for you. No, she's not. And no, he's not. No matter what you think, it's, he's not perfect. There's nothing perfect about us. And, and the, this word that James uses for healed, it, it means in the Greek to, to be made whole. All of us have things, all of us have weaknesses where we need the power of the Holy Spirit to make us whole, to, to complete us, to bring us into right relationship with God. And he says, confess your faults to one. Let me tell you something. Don't just confess to everybody. Don't just confess to everybody. Find a trusted friend. If you need somebody to talk to, find a trusted friend and, and talk to them and, and let, take them into your confidence. But of all things, always tell the Lord. Always tell the Lord. Finally, we need to surrender our failings to the Lord. Paul talks in Galatians chapter 5 about the fruit of the Spirit. And of the fruit of the Spirit, he includes meekness. Now, in, in this world, people will say, if you're meek, you're weak. That, that is not it at all. The, the word in the Greek for meekness has to do with strength under control. It's the picture of a wild stallion that has been chain, uh, uh, tamed. A wild stallion that has been tamed. And, and that this strength that's in this mighty horse is still there but it's brought under control. You see, that's, that's what God wants to do in us. He wants to take what we are and bring it under control. So we need to turn these things over to the Lord. And, and when we turn the foibles and the tantrums of our lives over to God, he bridles and guides them into ways to bring glory to himself. That's God's way of doing things. So the first thing that we see in Elijah was that he was a man of passion. Secondly, we see that he was a man of prayer. James 5, 17, the last part of that verse says, Elijah prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Now, 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse number one says that Elijah appears on the scene and he was Elijah the Tishbite from the inhabitants of Gilead. And you look at, at the diction, Bible dictionaries and, and atlases and you find that Gilead was a rocky mountainous area. In fact, Smith's Bible Dictionary says that the mountains of Gilead looked like a border on the horizon, just a stark border on the horizon. And you can, you can look at, at this 
place where Elijah was from, and it was a place of solitude and a rugged mountainous area. And you can imagine Elijah crawling or climbing to the, the tops of these mountains and standing up there on the mountain peaks. And it's just him and God, and God and Elijah. And he wraps the mantle around his face and says, Oh, God, hear me. You know the sin that's going on in this nation where I live. Hear my prayers this morning. And Elijah was a man of prayer. And James writes that he prayed earnestly, earnestly that it would not pray. The, the original, the old King James says, the effectual fervent prayer, the burning prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And in this place you see that Elijah prayed earnestly and his prayer meant a lot to God and God acted on his prayer. The most dramatic answer to prayer to Elijah's life was at the end of this three and a half years where God said, go show yourself to Ahab. And he goes down and he meets Ahab's servant, Obadiah, and he says, go tell your master I'm here. And there's quite a conversation that goes on there between those two, but Obadiah goes and gets Ahab, and Ahab comes back and he says to him, are you the one that troubles Israel? There are some people today that I'd like to point my finger in their face. Are, are you the one that's troubling the United States? Are you the one? But he said, are you the one that's troubling Israel? Are you troubling Israel? And Elijah said, it's not me, it's you. You're the one that's troubling Israel. You're the problem. God brought this judgment because of your horrible leadership because you read about Ahab and it said before him there was none as wicked as Ahab. There was nobody, no king as bad as Ahab. And so we find that Elijah said, I'll tell you what we'll do. You, you and all your prophets of Baal meet me up on top of Mount Carmel and I've been there. What a place. Meet me up on top of Mount Carmel and we'll have a contest. We'll have a contest. So here, here they're up there and the, the prophets of Baal build an altar and they kill a sacrifice and they put it up there and Elijah says, the God that answers by fire, let him be God. Let him be God. And so they, they, they put the sacrifice on the altar and they danced around and they went through all kinds of contortions and, and, and they took their knives and they cut themselves. It was a bloody mess without the sacrifice. They cut themselves as they normally did in their worship. He was just, it was just that kind of thing that was going on. And, and I read this and I thought, you know, these young people that are cutting themselves today because of such depression and, and struggle and stress on the inside of their lives, you want to say that never was God's plan. These are people that are ungodly and idolatrous. You don't do that. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. God made your body a temple. Don't cut yourself. That isn't God's plan. That isn't God's plan. And so here, here they are and they're dancing around and Elijah's standing by the side and saying, come on, maybe he's asleep. Get a little louder. Get a little louder. Or, 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 or maybe you need to, to, to cry real loud because he's gone on a trip. And, and, and he just, he just stand, I told you he was arrogant. 
He just stands at the side and just torments over and over. You, surely you're not being loud. And get a little louder. Get a little wilder. You know, get a little wilder. And finally, after a while, the time of the evening sacrifice came. And Elijah said, your time's up. It's my turn. It's my turn. And so he, he went and he got 12 stones, one for every tribe of Israel. And he built it up into an altar. And he put some wood on it and he killed a sacrifice and he laid it on top. And, and then he said to four big old burly guys standing nearby, he said, Mark, get three other guys and I want you to go get four barrels of water. Pour it over this sacrifice. And when they poured that, and you want to say, what? And he said, go get four more. Pour it over the and they, they poured it. He'd already dug a trench around the, uh, and, 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 and then said, go get four more. Until not only was there a stone for every tribe, but there's a barrel of water for every tribe. And poured it over the sacrifice. And Elijah stood there and he said, Lord, Come down and answer by fire. Now, the prayer's a little more detailed than this, but he said, Lord, come down and answer by fire and show all of these people that everything that I've done has been according to your word. I've been listening to you, Lord, and I, everything I've done is according to your word. And the scripture says that the heavens opened and the fire fell and it consumed the sacrifice and it consumed the wood and it consumed the stones and it consumed the dust around the altar and licked up. And that's, that's the word that, that the scripture uses in, in the New King James. It licked up the water. Can't you just see the fire is falling and, and everything is burning and there's, there's been an explosion of power take place here and all of a sudden everything is gone but there's a little bit of water left in this trench and, and the, 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 the fire goes... <laughs> And it just, and then suddenly the fire is gone. Because God said, I'm going to prove myself. I am God. I am God. And it all took place on that day because Elijah was a man who, when he prayed, God heard. So that he was a man of passion, he was a man of prayer. He was also a man of power. Look at 1 Kings, and I've excerpted these, these verses 36 through 38. Elijah, chapter 18, verses 36 through 38. Elijah the prophet came near and said, Hear me, O Lord, then the fire of the Lord fell. When he prayed, the fire fell. There's a, there's a story of a great metropolitan church that had a wonderful pipe organ. And one Sunday morning, the, the organist came. All the preparations were being made for the service. Let me tell you something. When you show up and you come to church on Sunday morning, it's after hours of work have already been done. Okay, and so on this Sunday morning, the people came early and they were getting set up for the service and, and this lady stepped up into the, 
the, the, the bench in, into the place where this pipe organ is. I don't know whether you've ever seen a, a really massive pipe organ, but, but they wrap around like this and, and you just nearly step into a, a cubicle there where, where the, the organist plays. And she stepped into where the, the bench was and sat down and began to try to warm up the organ and it wouldn't start. There, there was something wrong with it. Nina's been there. I've been there when she's been there. I've watched all the frustration and this woman was trying to, to start the pipe organ and it wouldn't start. And she said, it's, it was the only instrument in the church. It's all they had. And, and she said, we don't have any organ this morning. And so an emergency call went out to the, uh, to the repairman and the repairman came and, and the guts of this organ were, were down in the, in, the, in the basement of the church and he came in and went down there and began to work on the, on the pipe organ to find the problem and repair the problem and to do whatever needed to be done to get the, re, uh, to get the organ repaired. And, and he got to a point to where he, he knew he was almost done and he sent a note up to the organist and when she got it, she opened it up and it said, after the prayer, the power will be on. Let me tell you something, friends. In our lives, after the prayer, the power will be on. After the prayer, and we need to be people, people of prayer. You see, cultivating a habit of prayer is emphasized in the scripture. Jesus spoke a parable to this end in chapter 18 of Luke, verse number one. Jesus spoke a parable to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. We need to, Jesus said, cultivate that in you. We ought to pray and not faint. We ought to be people who stay in contact with God. Paul said to the church at Thessalonica, pray without ceasing. And, and there are a, a, a couple of theories about what he meant there. Some people say, well, he's, he meant go about in an attitude of prayer all the time. Other people say he meant have a, have a regular time of prayer every day. I think he meant both. I, I think we need a regular time of prayer every day, but I think we need to go around in an attitude of prayer that if we need to touch God, we can touch him right then. You can call on the name of the Lord wherever you are, whatever you're doing, and God can hear you. You see, the early church, Scripture says that when they prayed in, in Acts chapter six, Acts chapter four, verse number 31, when they prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. You see, God wants us to be people of prayer. First Thessalonians, we've already said, 516, pray without ceasing. And there are a lot of other passages in the Scripture where we can look at you see, there is an importance of developing a regular prayer life and it cannot be overemphasized because God's power has a channel to work in when God's people pray. That's our, all we are anyway is a channel. And so you gotta open that channel up with through prayer to let God work through us where the power of the Lord can move in our hearts and in our lives. Let us become the channel that God wants us to be. And so Elijah was a man of passion. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of power. Last of all, he was a man of persistence. 
Philippians chapter 3, verse number 14, the apostle says, I press, I press toward the mark. For the, for the, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. New King James. You can tell I'm, I'm still in the old. I press toward the mark for the, call of the high calling of God. And, and, and Paul says, I press. There's an effort there. You've got to be persistent. You've got to keep pushing. There's a goal to win. There's a prize to obtain. And you don't get it by accident. You get it intentionally. You get it because you, you, you make up your mind, Daniel 1.10. Scripture says Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. He made up his mind and he pressed toward the mark. He pressed toward the mark. He was persistent. Jezebel threatened Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 10, pardon me, chapter 19, verse number 3, says he, he ran for his life. I, I don't know whether you remember, but I remember as a child. Once in a while, I'd get, I'd get scared. And, and suddenly, there'd be a shot of adrenaline. And, and I'd run like a rabbit. My old heart's just beating and, and, and my leg's just pumping. And I, I never could run that fast unless I got that shot of adrenaline. I just need a shot of adrenaline now just to keep my, my heart going. But as a kid, I remember that as a kid. I mean, pfft, and, and when you get done, you're just like this because all the adrenaline is gone. The, the rush is gone. But, but I'm telling you, while the adrenaline was there, I mean, boy, I could do things I couldn't do normally. I, I kind of think that's the way Elijah was that day. Suddenly there was a shot of adrenaline and he just ran for his life, ran for his life. You see, in, in chapter 19, Elijah sinks into self-pity and deep depression. And, and it should have been expected. You say, why is that? Well, for three and a half years, he's been a fugitive. Under stress the whole time. For three and a half years. Now he confronts Ahab, the man who could order his head, his head taken from his shoulders. He confronts Ahab. All of this stress all of this pressure. And he, he, he engages in, in, in a game between the prophets of Baal and, and him alone. It, it's a game of my God's greater than your God. Now he wins, he, he wins the game because he sees fire drop from heaven. He takes oversight of the slaughter of 800 prophets of Baal. He intercedes for rain to, to bust the drought and he outruns Ahab's chariot on the way back to Jezreel. And then when Jezebel threatened to take his head from his shoulders, he snapped. It was over. Well, let me tell you something, folks. Our bodies can only take stress, fatigue, and lack of nourishment for so long, and then they react and rebel. And here Elijah is laying under the juniper tree somewhere out in the wilderness. Oh, God, I'm the only one left. There's nobody but me that's left. Oh, God, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. Well, later on, God said, boy, you had it wrong. I had 7,000 that had never kissed Baal or bowed their knee to him. 
But, but Elijah felt like he was the only one. Sometimes when you go into a deep pit of despair, you are tempted to tell the Lord the same thing. Nobody has ever been through this but me. Hello? But Paul said, there's no temptation taking you but such as is common. As common. Understand, somebody's been there before. Somebody's probably there right now. But somebody has certainly been there before. You see, Elijah, in spite of all of this, Elijah never said, I quit. It's not worth it. Elijah never said, I'm going to throw in the towel. He struggled. He faltered. He even desired death. But he never reneged on his commitment to God. He never reneged on his commitment to God. And, and what, what is God's reaction? When we, when we blow up like that and fall apart like that, what's God's reaction? David said in Psalm 103, he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. Aren't you glad that God said, I, I know they're weak, but I'm going to be there for them anyway. I'm going to take care of them anyway. I'm going to see them through this problem anyway. Almost 50 years ago, the Reader's Digest reported a quote that is credited to Calvin Coolidge, and it hung on the wall of Ray Kroc, the founder and CEO of McDonald's. Now, there's a name we all know. Calvin Coolidge said, nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. Later, Winston Churchill said, success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. In spite of all that we have faced, in spite of anything that you are facing, in spite of anything you will ever face, do not give up. Keep on keeping on. I told you that our granddaughter called yesterday afternoon and I asked her, I said, have you ever heard Winston Churchill speak? And I was talking to her and, and, and she said, I never have. I said, he had an old gravelly voice. And I said, one of the things he said that is remembered over and over, he said, never, never, never give up. I say to you this morning, never, Never, never give up. Keep your hand in the nail-scarred hand of Jesus Christ. Stand and be strong, and the Lord will see you through. Never give up. Never give up. So what do we take away from this this morning? 
First of all, we must understand we are all flawed human beings. All of us are flawed. And every one of us are in need of God's forgiveness and help. Every one of us. The second thing is, if we want God's power, we must spend time with Him in prayer. Pastor says, to be much for God, you've got to be much with God. I love that. We, we need to just spend time with the Lord. I know, I know we're all busy, but, but somewhere in the day, let's carve out some time and let's spend some time in the presence of the Lord. The last thing is never quit. Never quit. Never give up. Galatians chapter six, verse number nine, Paul said, and let us not grow weary and while, while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Never give up.